Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Larry. Welcome to Manipod, a podcast dedicated to men over 50. Brought to you by Manipause.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Larry, and that's Mike. And our special guest today, again, is a family member of Manipause.com, Michelle Afont. She's written several articles for us about relationships. She has a book called The Dang Factor that we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. So uh, welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So we have, we have a little twist that's going to be coming up a little bit later. But what I want to remind our audience about is how you got into this, how you came up with the idea for The Dang Factor, and what you're hoping to accomplish by having people read that. Okay, wow, the dang factor came about around, uh, let's say, six, seven years ago, when it entered my, my mind. Uh, what prompted me to write the dang factor and do the years of research that I did for it was um, my dad died before my eyes, literally holding my hand. My dad passed away. Um, he had many, many deathbed regrets. One of them being never really finding true love in his lifetime. It was heart-wrenching to see him go through that. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, it resonated in my personal life as well uh, because I, at the time, was married for 25 years to a man I was definitely not in love with. Um, nice guy, but <laughs> no love there. No love. Um, Four kids, I thought that would fix it. It didn't. Uh, you always think things will fix it along the way, but nothing really did. So I uh, came home from my dad's funeral in Northern California and I filed for divorce. And it was a life-changing moment for me. I, I hope my dad knows where he propelled me in life and how he changed my life. Um, it was a very easy divorce uh, we didn't have attorneys we just that's nice got along and um there was no one else in the picture so i think that that always helps we'll probably we'll get into that later um but yeah i i uh, was single for five years and then i met the love of my life we've been married 13 years wow so definitely life-changing <laughs> and what yeah. i hope what will happen is you know, I certainly don't wish anyone to divorce. That That is obviously not the purpose of me writing this book. What I do wish upon women, especially because this book was written for women, is happiness and fulfillment. And we talk about, you know, analyzing your relationship and seeing if that is what is causing your issues of not feeling loved or feeling love. So it's basically a, a guidebook to analyze where you are in your relationship. Hmm. And now, is it too late for women or is there any age that they say, you know what, We've, I've waited too long. I, I can't make this move now. Uh, what would you say to that? I think that is a huge misconception. I did not file for divorce until I was, I was 44, started dating at 45, met my husband at 49, 
So I was just getting into the manopause-ish <laughs> age range. Um, the number of single men out there in their 50s and 60s and 70s is off the charts. Um, no. Quick answer, it is never too late. It is never, never too late. And too late. I do get that a lot where, where women will say, you know, well, he's better than no one. At least he's a companion. At least it's someone to talk to. But my answer right. is, is that really what you want in your relationship to be with someone who's better than no one? Well, the other thing is, no, I'd rather be alone. <laughs> the other thing is, so you, you got married and you were married for 25 years. In the beginning, were you in love and passionate about it or was it, or did you settle? No, I was, I was absolutely 100% not in love. I settled. It was a marriage of almost convenience. Uh -huh. to, you know, I was just a baby. I was 19 years old. You know, I mean, my brain wasn't even fully developed yet. Uh, I was going to college, living at home with my mom, and um, she was moving to, to the Bay Area, and I was living in San Diego, and I didn't, I didn't want to pick up and move. So the guy I happened to be dating at the time said, let's just get married. <laughs> I said, okay, sounds great. <laughs> so wow. married, I knew, I mean, I knew I was making a mistake, but to rectify that mistake i had this great idea of having kids right away because then i could focus on the children because distractions are very important in less than ideal relationships distractions work wonders yeah what happens though is along the along the road you run out of distractions you've built the house you've bought the dog you've had the kids you've taken the vacations you bought the new beamer Right. You, know, you get to this point in life where there are no more distractions now. Or excuses. Is a distraction you would say is an excuse? Um, no, no, I wouldn't call it that. I really do call it a distraction. It's I, I went through every distraction you could possibly come up with to stay married i mean we built a house we you know we bought a beamer we had four kids we you know i mean a lawyer right yeah, yeah i went to i was in college and i went to law school i mean all these law things school. years wow. of life so so you know they are truly distractions what so they you have to deal with the with the deep issue at the heart of the problem which is that you're not in love Right. And I wasn't, but I had a mantra that I literally said to myself every single day for 25 years, every day. I said, Michelle, you love your children more than you love yourself. I don't matter. It doesn't matter that I'm not in love with him or crazy about him, or we don't have sex. None of that matters. What matters is staying married for my children. And that's how I got through 25 years. Now, then it, it dawned on me finally, and I said, What the heck am I teaching my kids? That a decision I made at the age of 19, I need to honor for the rest of my life. That if they make a mistake or they make a bad decision, they are never to fix it right. or rectify it or make things better in their lives. No way. No way. 
So I wanted to teach my kids, look, I made a mistake. We grew apart. It didn't work out. But this is the way I am going to divorce him in a very kind, fair manner. And that's what they learned. He still comes to Christmas every year with us. <laughs> amazing. That, that's amazing. Now, do you ever wonder what took your dad so long to tell you? He probably knew over that 25 years, knew much sooner than he waited till the last moment. What do you think took him so yeah. long? Well, I mean, do I don't think we typically go around telling our kids we're miserable or that we're lacking something. You know, we put on this facade for our kids that, you know, do as we do. The life is great. We know everything. And, you know, we do, I'm sure he, he didn't want to, you know, burst the bubble that I, you know, felt for him because he just was perfect in my eyes. And he's still perfect in my eyes. So, and there's some people that might argue, uh, I, I think there's two sides of the coin and a lot of it just depends, I guess, on where you're coming from. There's a lot of women and men that probably would look at you and say, you know what, once you decided to have children, you made the right decision to sacrifice your needs to get them going in life. And other people might say what you just said, are you crazy? And I think I think the I think the uh, meeting point of all that is, you did do what was right for the kids, but then once they were old enough to kind of be aware and and kind of begin to launch on their own, then you were able to shift to yourself and say, well, there's no reason now that I've I've protected them and 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 raised them. There's no reason for me to be miserable anymore. So I think it's a combination of things where you can draw both both opinions in to meet in the middle there. Well, and my, my youngest at the time was only eight years old. So I made the move when she was eight years old. Uh, my oldest was 19. So well, actually almost 20. So um, he, was, he was extremely upset with me for quite a while. Um, he told me, I thought this was interesting. He said, you can't divorce dad because... <laughs> you guys are the only couple of all of my friends who are married. And I take pride in that. <laughs> <laughs> At the time he was in San Diego State having the time of his life, right? I said, well then, honey, this is my life. If you would like to move back in the house and sleep in the same room with your dad <laughs> and live like you're married to your dad, then you go right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm moving forward. Yeah. And now, you know, he's almost 40. And he said, Mom, best thing you ever did. Best thing you ever did. Thank you for not listening to me. You know, he sees the happiness, you know, and I think that's important. Now, Our kids me, see us happy. Let, let me ask you a question. You think, you think um, men hang on too long as well, like you did? Do you think that they have that same compassion to stay together for the kids? Or do you think that they bail much sooner? What's I think, your opinion? I think that men, it's not so much the compassion to stay together for the kids. It is extreme guilt if they were to leave the mother of their children. It is extreme guilt what's the other factor michelle that you and i have talked about in the past yes and my Why is the man, what's the other factor yes men men don't leave unless there's somebody else right 
generally speaking, <laughs> generally speaking, men will stay in the marriage until they have met someone else. Right. And that's just the way it works. You know, I mean, women will often leave when they've met someone else. Uh, interestingly enough, that's usually not the person they end up with long term, yeah. but, but it's the person that is the catalyst to get them moving forward. I think that's uh, true for the men too. I think sometimes, you know, the men uh, who do leave their wives for somebody, they don't end up long term with them because it was some, you know, right. fantasy. A rebound. Exactly. Right. It's, yeah, yeah. the fantasy. Right. Uh, and the grass isn't always greener on the other side. We all know that, right, Larry? Oh, yeah. So the dang factor kind of yeah. rose out of this. Um, and we've spoken about the book uh, in, in other podcasts that people can, can see. Um, but just a little summary. And the, the interesting part uh, in this first section that we're doing is some of the things that came up while you were doing research for the different topics. So tell us a little bit about the dang factor and then one of the more interesting sources that you got for the dang factor. Okay, so in the dang factor, I take all kinds of different scenarios. Uh, in fact, in relationships, I break down uh, you know, four different categories. You know, you, you're single, you should be single. I mean, there's you know, all these different categories because being in a relationship or being married does not necessarily mean being happy. There's it's two different, completely different things. So um, I really got into all the different relationships and giving women some ideas as to uh, a roadmap as to where they can go, where they should go, where they shouldn't go, questions to ask themselves. Um, and then we go into a, a segment of the book, which is um, cheating and and how do we handle it and what do we do and uh is he a is he a one-time cheater is he a serial cheater uh you know what we have to classify him you know was it a one-time indiscretion is this has he been with the same woman for six years behind your back i mean what where are we here so as i was writing this this chapter on cheating um kind of had a a moment where i thought, you know, who am I really to talk specifically about the cheating and how we should react as women? I've never been cheated on that I know of. <laughs> I have to clarify that, that I know of. Um, so I thought, you know, who can I talk to that, that has been cheated on? And, and I want to get her input. And, you know, what was she feeling? What was she thinking? How did she handle it? And um, surprisingly enough, uh, Betty Bronrick entered my, entered my mind. And I don't know if, if our listeners are aware of, of the Betty Bronrick story. There have been several Everybody movies. knows Betty. Might a, enlighten them a little. Diego, San Diego knows Betty Bronrick. Yes. Right. Um, and you know what, Michelle? I have an idea. This is a perfect time to take a break. I just heard about manscaping just a few years ago. You see, and that's the really? thing. I've been talking yeah. to friends of mine, and it's surprising how many men of our generation actually still don't know about it. I've been right. taking a little informal yeah. survey of my friends, and a lot of them 
are not hypnotic. I've been doing it. Term. I've been doing it for a while, but I was using shading cream and a razor, and this new stuff is way better. There is a product out there called Manscaped, right? And and I did buy them for our executives, and and they all and I was shocked. They all said they loved it. They all said now, they loved what it. was the product specifically for? Oh, we talked. It's a shaver. It's like electric razor. But, and it, it, it's electric, but it will not cut your skin. It won't touch your skin. So it'll get very, very, very close. So it's for any use anywhere on the body. It came with different attachments, too. And a little, a little cute little book about topiary designs. Oh. So you could, yeah. The company is called Manscaped, and their lawnmower is the grooming system for those private areas that look like a briar patch. That's right. Get yours at manopause.com and get 20% off with Manopause20. The code is Manopause20. The whole family will thank us. And we're back with Michelle Afant. Uh, we uh, kind of left you hanging there with the Betty Broderick story audience. So she's going to expound on that a little bit, telling us a little bit who she was and how she got in contact with her. Go ahead, Michelle. For those of you that don't know, uh, Betty Broderick uh, is uh, was a San Diego resident. She was married to Dan Broderick, who was an attorney and also a physician. Um, they were married for, I want to say, 16 years, uh, and they went through a very contentious divorce. Uh, Dan Broderick ended up meeting uh, and sleeping with uh, his secretary at the time, Linda Colquina. It and could have been his nurse, but in this case, it was his secretary. It was his secretary, and um, and Betty found out about it uh, when she went to uh, to his office, and um, things didn't go well uh, down the road. Uh, of course, lots of things happened in between, but the ultimate outcome of that divorce was uh, Betty Broderick did in fact kill uh, Dan Broderick and his new wife, Linda, while they slept. And, um, that's, and that's, not ending, that's not the ending we want. <laughs> no, no. And, and, that, and you have a lot in common with them because you're an attorney and you have four kids and you went through a divorce and same thing with Dan and they had four kids. It could have been a different ending for you and your husband. <laughs> well, well, luckily yeah. I'm not capable of that, but, and neither is he, so, so we're good, we're yeah. good. Just to kind of uh, let people know that there was a movie made during the 90s uh, that had Meredith Baxter Bernie in it, that was the Bad oh, yeah. Story, and then right now on TV is, I think it's called what, Bad John? Uh, yeah. And, and that, uh, that's also the story, so if you want to get more insight into what happened, you certainly can watch those shows and, and that'll give you a good idea. But the exciting part of this is that, is that Michelle actually started corresponding with Betty to fill in holes about cheating. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, when I kind of had this, this thought that, you know, who better, to, who better to talk about cheating than Betty Broderick, I was able to get her dress and I wrote her, uh, wrote her a nice letter uh, explaining what I was doing. Um, I basically reached out to her, and I'll, I want to clarify this for the record, woman to woman. I was, at the time, inactive with the State Bar. 
So uh, it was, there was no attorney client relationship at all. Um, so I just spoke to her, you know, went woman to woman, uh, told her I was writing a book for women and she wrote back right away. And uh, here's her, mm. I find this, this is her letterhead from the state prison. And uh, wow. that's her, yes. And I thought this was very interesting. This is her, her stationery, but it has her, if you can see this, has her oh, picture. Yeah. Oh yeah. So she wanted uh, her picture on her stationery. But yeah, I have many notes and letters and lots, lots of information from Betty. Um, she was very talkative. She is very talkative. I haven't spoken to her in a couple of years, um, but she, she's still some 28 years later, extremely angry, um, which hasn't helped her cause as far as parole. Yeah. Um, She's, she's very, very angry. Um, you can see it, you know, when, you, when she writes to me, she underlines, you know, heavily underlines things. And you can, you can almost feel the anger just jumping off the page, you know, and it's just these you have, crazy. Do you have a fragment that you can read of the underlined? Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, like, let's see if I'll show you where she says, I had no settlement. I don't know if you can see that. See how she oh, yeah. both yeah. underlines it? Oh, yeah. yeah, she she does a lot of lot of underlining where she's very uh, you, you can just it came to it That's came effective. off as anger you know still yeah you know these yeah. sure um, what Betty has to say and and of course this is this is Betty's version this is Betty's writing um, Dan's not here to to defend himself or or say something to the contrary so we can only go off the facts that. Betty has supplied right. me. Um, according to her, she could have easily, to quote her, uh, I could have easily, um, where is it? I could have easily survived the divorce. And let me put my, my glasses here. I could have easily survived the divorce. I expected I'd get the house, the kids, and the money to raise them until 18. She goes on, but we won't, I don't want to get into everything she said, but she, she claims that she would have easily moved on, that she wanted her own life, that she wanted, um, she said, I was desperate to get my split from Dan so I could go on with my life. Without it, I had no freedom at all. Wow. The day I killed him, he still had total, underline, control over my finances and my children. The sad face. So I think that was um, oh. definitely a factor in, in things going down were, you know, was the control that, um, in, her, in her words, uh, was was going on, you know, this was four years after the divorce. So now, in their case, what happened, I'll, I'll real quick, what, in their case, what happened, they filed, he filed for divorce and they did a bifurcation, which is what, what we, we do, we, we split it up. So we'll, he got the divorce, but as far as the settlement and what she would get and how things would be divided, that went on for four years. Uh -huh. And that does not need to happen that that's 
So did they, did did uh, did they try counseling and all that that you're aware of? I am not aware of them trying any counseling. I could be wrong though. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess that's one of the problems is if if one of the partners is already in a relationship with somebody else, right? The the question is, you know, uh, will they go to counseling? And if they go to counseling, will they really try? Uh, or will they just say if counseling's not going to work? So that leads us into the next discussion with with you and for our audience uh, is relationship is not working out. It, you're not feeling the love. It's just you just see that it's petering out. You don't seem to have anything in common. Uh, where where do you go? What do you do with that? Uh, both as as a woman and and as a man. Well, I think, you know, age certainly plays a, plays a part of it. So since this is for menopause, you know, we'll, we'll kind of zero in on the 50 and older yeah. crowd. Um, you know, I mean, to me, it's about my deathbed. You know, I mean, that's how I live my life every single day is my deathbed, you know, and having no regrets and, you know, certainly not being reckless or careless, but living a life that when I am laying there, I'm like, damn, that was a great run. That was amazing. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I do encourage that, but that's easier said than done. I'll tell you, I have two friends right now. Um, both of their husbands are cheating on them. Um, they're not going to divorce. Because Do they know that's happening? Yes, they know. They are in somewhat state of denial, but they do know, um, hmm. but they both told me that they don't want to start over in the friend department, in the couples department, because let's face it, we live in a couples world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we all get together and if they were to, to divorce, then all of a sudden the couple's no longer there. Right. So right. they are not willing to give up the social life that comes with being married to their cheating husbands. So, you know, it's a matter of what, what you want to tolerate and what you will put up with. Why don't they cheat then? Why don't they just go out and have an affair well, trust as well? Me, I asked them the same thing. <laughs> but they, they, they don't. And you know what? Women, we're, we're just different. We're, we're, diff we're made differently. We think differently. We feel differently. And I can, I could never just go out to have sex to have sex. That's not saying that some women, you know, can't and more power to them, you know, but I personally can't. My friends personally can't. So, you know, we, we like to feel some emotion, you know, when doing the deed. Well, the thing is, is it, it, I guess the other thing though is, um, you know, let's, let's take your friends out of the equation. Let's say that it's just to relate uh, from, the, from the woman's point of view, how should she come to a man who seems to be disinterested and unavailable and, you know, how should she approach the man to say, you know what, I think we have a problem uh, without, being, without being threatening or in, in any way make him sort of clam up and back off. Like, what are you talking about? What, what, what would be the best approach well, for a woman to well, let's, the man? Let's first say, you know, barring a medical issue, right. because obviously that happens as we get older, um, 
It is not okay to not be adored and desired. It is not acceptable. It is not okay. And I cannot tell you the amount of women that write to me, and these are women from 25 to 70 that say their husbands or boyfriends do not want to have sex with them, that they haven't been touched in two years, that they, they don't feel any desire from their man at all. And to that, I say, BS, this is not okay. And I don't know why we as women are putting up with this because trust me, women, there are a million men out there that will want you and will want to have sex with you. But it, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with these with these men and and you know why why we're having these issues. But my guess is something else is going on in his life. You know, like possibly he's getting it somewhere else. Or you know, men just no, don't normally stop having sex. Well, I, I think the the caveat to that, especially nowadays, would be the sort of unbelievable amount of stress, not just on men, on women too, but on men, for instance, that have a business or, or something they've built up all these years and they see it crumbling away. You know, right. I don't care how much you may love and adore your wife. You're just not going to, you know, because as we know, sex is up here, right? right. And, and it comes later down there, literally. But, uh, you, know, the, <laughs> uh, you know, if you can't get this right, that ain't going to happen. Correct. Right. Yes. Doesn't, doesn't matter how much Viagra you take. Yes. And I and and let me be clear. I am not saying that it has to be sex per se, but there should be some sort of affection. I, I'll take a high five in the kitchen. You know, I mean, hey. there should there should be some <laughs> sort of affection. Whether, you know, you get up in the morning and you, you, you give a kiss or you're watching TV and you, you know, you're holding hands or you're going for a walk on the beach and you're holding hands. There should be some sort of physical connection in your relationship. You know, if the sex wanes. I mean, sometimes we feel like it. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're in the mood. Sometimes we're not. That's normal. That is perfectly normal. You know, layoffs and this COVID. I mean, my goodness. Lots to deal with in our society. So you're not always going to be in the mood. But I think you need to at least have some sort of physical touch between you. Okay, so then uh, to that point, what does the woman do? Uh, I mean, uh, I want to take, I want this to be from a woman's perspective because we want men to watch this uh, who can to a certain degree identify with what you're saying. Um, basically, what is it, what is it that, that men would be able to hear from women? Again, it wouldn't be accusatory or anything where, where a woman would go up and say, look, here's what I'm feeling. How, how, do, how do women do that and how should men respond to that? Well, I mean, it's obviously uncomfortable. I mean, some, you know, it, it's kind of degrading for a woman to have to bring up the fact that she would like some loving from her man. Yeah. It's something we don't talk about easily, uh, but we have to talk about it. Uh, we have to have those really uncomfortable talks with our partners because otherwise it's going to fester like you can't believe. And that's when things just hit the fan. Yeah. So 
I, you oh, yeah. know, I, I, I coach a lot of uh, relationships and, you know, one of the things I have this motto that I, that I talk to my clients about and it's um, talk about the issue, wait for action and have a plan. And that's the motto that we live by. And it's like, like if you're not getting any sex or you, you know, you haven't been touched in years. You got to talk about this. Okay. Yes. Your stomach's going to turn. Yes. He might get mad. Yes. He might get defensive. You know, the old adage is not what you say, but how you say it. So we have to remember that, but it is exactly what you said, Larry. It's honey, look, I'm not feeling like I'm important to you. I'm not feeling loved. I'm not feeling adored by you. I'm not feeling that you're attracted to me. You know, is this true? I mean, let's talk about it. You know, maybe we can fix it, you know, and if you kind of go about it like that, yeah. you know, and even do the caveat, I know you're stressed. I know work is tough, uh, but it's important, you know, because sex is important. Sex is the only thing that sets you apart from your best guy friend. So the only thing that sets me apart from my best friend is I have sex with my husband and I don't have sex with my best guy friend. Right. I don't have sex with my neighbors. But I, you know, I chat with them all the time. Right. What makes a marriage a marriage is the idea you are sexually connected. Yeah. That's what it, that's what marriage is. So we can't, you know, now there are couples that are perfectly fine to say, uh, look, we're done. I don't want it. You don't want it. We have a great marriage. We have a great life. And, you know, we're good with holding hands on the beach. That's great. You know, as long as you're both on the same page. Right. right. Then it's, that's great. I, I love that. So does, do you think counseling is effective in those kind of relationships? Like if they, if both people don't really know how to address it, do you recommend counseling? And do you think you think it's effective to open people up to the idea that there's a problem? I, I am in favor of counseling with uh, a, few, a few things to say with that. First of all, both have to be on the same page. Yeah. Next, if there's a third party involved, they gotta be gone. Yeah. That's, you're not gonna get anywhere with counseling. Um, you also have to remember that a marriage counselor makes their money off of counseling you. So if you go in to the counselor as a couple and you are so far gone, you are not even remotely in love with each other, this cannot be saved, will she likely tell you that? No. Probably not. Because this is how they make a living. They can't discover that until they've had a few sessions with you at least. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you got you got you got to give it a try. Yeah. Should it go on for five, six, seven years? <laughs> yeah, uh, probably not. But this brings up something else that Larry, we we talked about, and I know you were going to go there, Larry, with this. So let's just say that um, the couples decide one of the couple uh, decides I don't want to have sex anymore, and it's not because of an illness or anything. They just decide that they do not want to have sex anymore. Is it okay for the other one who still wants to have sex to go out and pay for it, have sex with another person? Um, 
as long as there's no motion, as long as there's no motion attached, is that okay? Your opinion? In my opinion, yes. <laughs> I mean, okay. this is a biological need. I mean, I, I don't, I think it would be incredible. See, the women are going to come at me if I, <laughs> I go too far into this. Not necessarily. Um, oh. but, but I do. I think that it is a, a, a biological need of both men and women. Um, I think if you're on, I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily sneak about it. I would probably lay it out for her and say, right. look, I gotta have it. I mean, I, I, I need this to survive and, and I, this is what I'm going to do. You know, um, I'll take precautions. Right. And, uh, I won't fall in love. It, you know, it'll be a paid arrangement and that's, I it. won't. Won't spend too much of my allowance, and I'll we'll be good. I'll budget well. <laughs> exactly. I'll let you set. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the budget, honey. Yeah, I, you set I, the budget, and I you know what? That, yeah, I mean, if you run out of your budget, use your hand. I mean, this is this is how it's got to work. Right. You know? right. But no, I mean, you can have you can have ten Kias or one Ferrari a month. Yeah. Right. Whatever you prefer. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, but here's the thing with the counseling I want to, I do want to touch on. There is no amount of counseling that I could have gone to with my first marriage that would have saved that marriage. There is no amount because I did not feel any love for yeah. him. You know, I mean, I loved him as a friend, but certainly not as a, as a partner or right. a lover. Right. So that would not have worked at all. Um, yeah, that, that you got to have some, you got to feel something. I mean, this is the question I pose to, to women all the time when they're deciding whether to divorce, break up. Um, I ask them two questions. Number one, how do you feel when he touches you? You know, that's very important because if it is like, he grosses me out just the thought of him touching me is repulsive hey, this is not good yeah. no. number two if he was to walk into a restaurant with another woman and sit down to have dinner with her how would you feel when you saw them that's it those are your questions for me with my first marriage yeah no no touching Number two, if he came to a restaurant with another woman, I would, I would have rejoiced. <laughs> Hi, oh wow, how nice to meet you. Because I was indifferent. I felt nothing at all. These are signs that your marriage is not good and you probably should move on. Now with my current husband, okay, <laughs> love the touch. Tell us, and if, he walked in, if he walked into a restaurant with another woman, I would probably, <laughs> Go, I would probably pull a ripper eyes out, you know. Betty like, on it. Yeah, no, no, no. So, those are my signs. I gotta keep this one going. All right, well, we're so gonna I have a question. Let's about, take another uh, break. I have a, sorry, I have a question. I just want to make sure that your husband or your ex husband, when he watches this, if he ever watches it, will he still come over for Christmas? Oh, yeah, for a free meal, he'll come. <laughs> All right, well, then. Let's take another break, and when we come back, we're going to get to the meat of the matter, which is 
like you said, it's unsalvageable. Now what? How do you avoid getting super toxic when you're going to split? So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. And then we're going to pick up that uh, significant gauntlet. So we'll be right back. Hi, Mike and Larry here, inviting you to spend some time at manopause.com. It's a website dedicated to men over 50 and the people who love them. That's right. Articles, videos, podcasts, and a community forum all here at manopause.com. Hey, are you tired of everything from movies to fashion always being aimed at millennials? I know I am. Well, at manopause.com, we focus on you, guys over 50, with stuff you care about. Like sports, sex, humor, health, entertainment, and business. It's all here. Manopause.com. Manopause.com. It's about time. Join the movement. Okay, welcome back. We're with our friend Michelle Lafont. And Michelle, the question is, um, okay, you're not getting along. You're going to get divorced. How do you settle it without it being toxic, ruining the kids' lives, ruining your own lives? How do you do it? What's the secret? Well, I mean, in a nutshell, be nice. Like, be nice. There, it is possible. Here's the thing. The law is set up so that things are very clearly divided. These are not, this is not rocket science. If you own a house, you sell it, you share the proceeds. If you have a 401k, if you have a bank account, most things are pretty cut and dry. Yes, there are some very complex divorces and I get that. But for the most part, um, you know, split things evenly. Um, what happens a lot of times is we have the third party involved, which creates a lot of animosity and a lot of hurt and a lot of anger. Um, to quote, let me read this one thing from, uh, from Betty Broderick, which kind of sums it up. She said, when you find out your husband is cheating on you, it rocks the very foundation on which you have built your life and your family and your future. So that's where the person on the end of the cheat is, is coming from and, and their life is completely destroyed. Now, with that being said, um, people don't just go get a third party, you know, on a whim. Okay. Generally speaking, the relationship was broken. The relationship had been broken for a very long time. So we all have to understand that. Um, so I think that's part of it too, would be the communication process with your uh, spouse, your ex-spouse-to-be is, is the honesty. It's like, you know, you don't need to be hurtful, but it's, it is saying, communicating, being honest. Look, we've been broken for a long time. We both know that. Uh, don't you think that we would be better to go live our lives and maybe find that happiness and, you know, and have that talk. You would be surprised how someone's defense mechanism just shuts down when it's presented in a way like, look, you know, we're going to both parent the kids. We're going to just, you know, we're not going to hate each other. We're going to, we're going to do things different than other people. We, you know, Come on, come on, Sheila. You know we have not gotten along in so long. You know, and it is, it's it's 
It's talking. You know, a lot of times people don't even have that talk. You know, they find out they, they find out your husband's cheating. He moves out the next day, and bam, the fireworks start. You know, if you can literally take a moment, sit. Look, you guys. You know, some of us are putting 25, 30 years into these marriages that we're walking away from. This should not be your enemy. You know, this is the mother or father of your children. Divorce does not have to be so contentious and crazy and hurtful. You can, you know, it, it all is about the, th- the way you look at it too. It's like, look, let's get a fresh start. Let's, you know, let's support each other. Let's, you would be amazed how a divorce can go so well, you know, when, when things, you know, with, with Betty, you know, she didn't have a settlement for four years. She had nothing to, to grab onto, to let her move forward. So I think, you know, getting things done as quickly as possible, being nice, obviously don't talk shit about your spouse to their, to your kids. That's get a dog. Talk to your dog, you know, <laughs> leave the kids out of it. I mean, my kids, my son is almost 40. Like I said, he came down last week. And I think that was about the first time we've actually talked about the divorce, you know, and what led me there. And, you know, he's 40. He's like, what happened, mom? <laughs> yeah. married? Yes. Yes. Married. Yes. Great. Yeah. All of, all four of my kids are in, three are married with kids and just incredibly happy. My youngest has been in a relationship for two years. I'm sure they're on their way to marriage. And yeah, of course they get a lot of relationship talk from mom. So <laughs> I, I, have three, I have three things to uh, talk about. One is to push back a little too. <clears throat> one is obviously we all agree that the one thing you wouldn't want to do is what Dan Broderick did which was not only flaunt this new relationship in front of her and her friends in La Jolla and just really humiliating her for whatever reason. I mean, he had a lot of anger towards her. And obviously that's something you never want to do because that's not good for the kids either, right? Um, But I think the two factors that, that make this a little more complicated is what you said about being nice and all that makes sense for the person who has not been uh, cheated on, right? In other words, the man can be magnanimous and say, honey, look, you know you know, we haven't been getting along, and, you know, quiet uh, uh, girlfriend, um, but you know, this is gonna be great, right? I mean, she, most women are at first are gonna go apeshit and, and rightfully so. But then we introduce the thing that I really wanna push back on because I have some friends that, that had to deal with that. And that is when you get attorneys involved, much like what you were saying about counselors, they also don't want to quit. Right. So if you went into an attorney and said, okay, look, we worked it out last night on the, at the dinner table. He's getting this, she's getting this, just do the paperwork. Well, whatever attorney she has, he has is going to go, really? You want to give her that much? You don't have to. And she's going to say, right. are you willing to take that after what he did to you? Right, and it stirs the pot. So, what do you? How do you uh, uh, counsel couples on something like that about lawyers beware kind of thing? Right. Well, you know, I am an attorney. So I know that you brought it up. <laughs> I don't want to rat out my my colleagues, uh, but but no, I mean, look. 
for, for an easier divorce, it is nice if you can just go to mediation. Mediation is a, is a fabulous tool that really lowers the, um, the fireworks. You know, mediation is extremely effective. There are some great mediators across the country. Um, and you don't have the, the sides going at each other. And, um, and you're not spending an exorbitant amount of money either. Uh, so if you can both agree to mediation, that's that's wonderful. Um, otherwise, I mean, yeah, I mean, some, sometimes you do need to get your attorney involved. I think that it's important that we don't lose ourselves in the divorce through the attorney, that we, we as, as part of the couple that's getting divorced, you know, we, we speak our mind and we stick our values and our morals we don't make destroying the other party our mission in life because it's easy to fuel that fire and right. it's easy you know be wary of of friends and family getting involved too because that you know that's 80 percent of the problem too you know i can't believe you're not going to take him for everything he's worth right. you know and and so if you can keep it, you know, between you two. Um, yeah. But I mean, having a third party, I mean, we are not robots. Men are not robots. Sometimes it's the woman that gets a, a boyfriend. Right. Exactly. You know, it's hurtful. And you right. know, we're going to feel this pain and, you know, it's important to recognize the other person's pain and, you know, do as, do what you can to, you know, if you need to see, see who you're seeing, see it on the side. You know, she doesn't, he doesn't need to meet the kids. He doesn't, you know, keep all that stuff on the back burner. You know, that stuff just fuels the fire. Yeah. It's, you know, so yeah, do, do as best you can, but you know, it is possible. It truly is. Yeah. I mean, when you're, when, when you're fighting for divorce and it, a lot of times it's the custody of the children or the amount that you're going to get for your kids from the spouse, um, that, yeah, isn't there a law, a rule for that? Yeah, so child support is based off a of formula. It's really non-negotiable. I mean, you you make this much, you have them this this much. This is what you're going to get. Uh, where you run into a lot of issues is, uh, unfortunately, it is, or fortunately for some parties um, who have the kids, uh, it is based off time spent with the children. So right. um, because it is money-based, um, oftentimes you'll have these long drawn out court battles because there's money involved. And so, you know, one parent wants them 70% of the time because that can equate to a lot more monthly income for right. her or him. So, um, you know, of course, ideally 50, 50 is always the preferred, preferred way to go. And, and courts are really, really leaning towards that. Um, and certainly they prefer to have both parents equally involved in raising the children right so that's become the norm it truly has but child support is only right. a small part of of what the woman would need to get i mean let's say it's it's a rarer and rarer but let's say it is a woman that did what betty did where you know she kind of took care of the kids paid his help pay his way through medical school and law school and got his practice started and all that while at the same time managing the kids so she didn't have an independent source of income. Right. Um, so that's, that to me is the meaningful part. The child support, you, theoretically, you're supposed to be spending that on raising your children, paying for education and clothing and food and whatever else, transportation and all that. But right. what does she get, right? How, what, what, once the kids are gone, 
what is she going to have as a result of having gotten divorced? And I think that's the important thing. Well, in California, we, we, have, we do have spousal support. Um, it is often frowned upon in the courts, um, but there are cases, instances, and Betty Broderick would be a classic example, who did stay home and raise the, the kids, never uh, worked outside of the home for the entire marriage. And, and, you know, we do take care of those situations. So again, it would be, uh, there is no magic formula. The court takes into account uh, lots of factors, uh, you know, her level of education, has she worked? Um, did she um, support him in getting to where he is today? Um, her age, you know, so there's a lot of factors that are involved. So, you know, if you've got a 65 year old woman who's never worked a day in her life and he's now a practicing physician, um, she's, she's going to get some alimony. You know, I mean, she's right. going to be taken yeah. care of. That's, yeah. She deserves it. Yeah. She does deserve it. Absolutely yeah. deserves it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the part that a lot of women are so afraid of is, you know, I don't get any social security myself cause I didn't work. Um, he, he kind of owns everything. I need to make sure that I at least get a house and some money coming in because at 65 or even 60, I can't go out now and retrain or anything because I don't have, I don't have job skills. My job skill was taking care of him and the kids and running the household and all that. Right. Uh, so I mean, I could certainly see the anxiety. Men typically aren't, don't find themselves in that position. It's, it's right. women. Right. Yes. yes. And right. it's, you know, I mean, this is something obviously is talked about in the marriage. I mean, if they're both, generally on board for her to stay home and be a homemaker and take care of the house and him. So this was a, you know, an agreement and arrangement that they came to in the marriage. Um, so that is her job. That is, she is working. She's right. definitely not earning a paycheck for it. Right. So that's why she would, she would definitely um, get spousal support in that situation. So, so, you know, not, not to make light of it, but uh, we know that most marriages don't end with the Betty Broderick uh, solution, despite the fact that he, he was a jerk. Uh, people knew that. Um, uh, some people might say he was a typical guy, but I mean, he, he did make her life miserable. On the other hand, um, you know, those, there are other ways to take care of things like that. You know, if you think about the, the Peterson uh, uh, murder, uh, when he, when he murdered his wife because he wanted to get out of the relationship and it's like, well then just get a divorce. Right. So those, those are obviously extremes of people that have personality disorders or, or other worse things. But we do know that, 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 that there are lots of hatreds and, and, and for me, the, the saddest thing to see is the children being used as weapons. Well, you'll never see your kids again, or like you said, the bad mouthing of one spouse versus the other. Those are things that I think can have lifelong effects on children and how they view relationships in general. You know, it's like, well, God, my parents hated each other. We didn't know it. I just don't trust people. So I, that's what I would want you to get across to people that remember that it's not just you and your spouse that are, are having this separation. You've got to take care of the family around you and not make not make it so traumatic for them. Yes, very important. I mean, I I can't tell you how well 
my kids thrived in their childhood uh, because of the good relationship between um, my ex-husband and myself. Um, it is preparing the kids for, uh, for what's going to happen, even your adult kids. Um, but it's also sticking to what's right for you as a woman or a man. Uh, the guilt that our children can place on us for, for separating and daring to live our life, <laughs> you know, is, is off the charts. And if, if our kids could uh, request that every parent stay married, uh, we'd all be married, right? But they can't. So, um, so it is handling that. I mean, for, for me, two of my kids uh, were older. They were 18 and about 21. And then the younger set, were they were 8 and 10. Because I thought that, you know, by having more kids and having another distraction, it would save my marriage. Well, that didn't work. I'm sure I'm glad I had them. Uh, but what I, you know, this is not, not everyone can do this. I realize this, but I'll throw it out there. Uh, so when, when I filed for divorce and I'd had my talk with him and he realized that we were going to divorce, uh, he moved into the spare bedroom. I had these two giant cardboard boxes that I put in the living room labeled daddy's house. And so for the next six months while we're preparing for all of this, uh, we would go to Target and they'd get to pick out something to put in their daddy box. And so time goes on I and mean, we've got Barbies, we've got the headphones, we got cozy blankets and cute clothes and you know all these things they can't touch until these boxes go to daddy's house. And mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, by the end of that six months, my kids are like, will you just get divorced for already? I mean, we, we want to open this stuff, you know? So it was, it was a great, great incentive. It was, uh, you know, okay, let's go to Target, pick out an outfit, put, put in your box. And it, it was really cute. And it just helped with the transition quite a bit. That, that's, that's a fascinating, fabulous idea how to, how to do it right. That's a great idea. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. You know, Michelle, um, I don't know if you and Betty talked about this, but she, as I read, she got two consecutive 15-year sentences, um, and the minimum is up 2023. Do you think she's going to get out because she served two consecutive 15-year sentences? No, not a chance. Really? Not really? She's a danger to society? No. In my opinion... She is not. Uh, what have have a whole letter? This is a whole other episode. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, Dan was a prominent attorney. He he has a lot of friends who are prominent attorneys in town, and it's uh, to her. This is to quote Betty. It's me against them. And um, you know, at her parole hearing, uh, they all showed up and um, and and made a case that that they were afraid for their lives and uh, she's a danger um one of the things that has hurt betty um in my opinion is she has not shown a great deal of remorse or any remorse yeah that's more like it yeah that i've seen right. um that doesn't go over well with the parole board um she has often been her her worst, worst enemy you know, I mean, you know, she represented herself 
at trial uh, for her divorce, uh, you know, things, things, things did not go well. Uh, so she, she could be uh, her own worst enemy for sure. Uh, she will not be eligible for parole, another parole hearing until 2032. Wow. She is um, what she calls herself a political prisoner in, in, this, in the system. Um, but didn't yeah. you say, you, you told me the other day uh, that she said, and I don't know if it was just to you or in general at one of the parole uh, board meetings, that, you know, she, like you said, she has no remorse. And then she said, they're dead and I'm alive. She had said that, um, <laughs> not, not to me, but she had said that to, it, it was, I think it was an interview she did, I believe. And I could be wrong. I'll state that uh, with Oprah. She did a she did an interview with Oprah, and I'm not sure if it was that interview, but she definitely did say that. Yeah, that's so right. You know, uh, I read somewhere that she they have four kids, uh, and and two they all four go to visit her, but two want her out, and two want her to stay in. That is true. Is that true? Yes. Oh my God. Yes, that is true. Uh, to want them out and support, and actually we're at the parole hearing um, to testify on her behalf. Uh, her, I believe it was her eldest daughter, one of the daughters offered uh, that Betty could come live with her upon release. Um, so, so that was, that's, that was squared away, but yeah, no, two, two are not supportive of her release, and two are. Mm -hmm. um, that's amazing. You know, now now with COVID, I mean, I, I think that's the only way she stands a chance of getting out. You know, I mean, I know in California we're releasing right. prisoners left and right. So whether whether Betty is one of those, I'm slap, an sure. ankle, slap an ankle bracelet on her and you know let her out. Well, yeah, I mean, is, though, if she doesn't care that she killed people, even if you slap an ankle bracelet on her, and let's say she still maybe there's one or two people that she wants to get even with because of the trial, who knows what. If I were those people, I might be a little bit nervous that, you know, she could show up, uh, you know, one morning or something like that. Now, did he, he had boys and, they had boys and girls, right? Two boys, two girls. So, uh, right. which two, uh, is it sex-based that want her out versus not? No, actually it's a boy, girl, boy, girl. Oh, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Huh. Yeah. Boy, girl. Yeah, the, well, the two boys want. Let me just see. Actually, a boy and girl want her out, and uh, Kim and Dan want her yes. incarcerated to stay incarcerated. You wonder what that does again to the family dynamics. I mean, how do they relate to each other uh, when they're when they're on polar opposites in terms of you know uh, whether or not their mom can be trusted to to be released? So, um, well. Yeah, I mean, you think what the what that family dynamic went through and is uh, it could have been avoided. It truly it yeah. could have. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, of course, you're going to have anger. Of course, you're going to have hurt. Yeah. But that, yeah. that degree, that was unnecessary. Right. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a cautionary tale that that again is uh, unlikely to happen, but certainly does make you think about you know, how to, how to uh, end a relationship if it needs to end. So Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been fascinating. 
And great, <laughs> Michelle. Thank you so much. It's awesome. Yeah. You're awesome. I love chatting with you guys.